Section 31 of From the Tower Window of My Bookhouse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Bodorf. From the Tower Window of My Bookhouse. Edited by Olive Beaupre Miller. Robert Bruce. Scotland's Hero. Among the wild highlands of Scotland, by her plunging mountain torrents and emerald mountain lakes, on her bonny lowland meadows and heath-covered moors, have dwelt always a people sturdy and independent, staunchly upholding their liberties, with a spirit as keen and vigorous as the breath of their mountain air. In the thirteenth century, King Edward I of England, better known as Edward Longshanks for the prodigious length of his legs, possessed himself by force and cunning of the kingdom of scotland and proceeded to govern it with the most oppressive tyranny for some twenty years the scottish people suffered all manner of injustice at the hands of the english king all manner of insults and injuries at the hands of the english soldiery then awoke in the heart of one loyal scotsman robert bruce a descendant of the ancient line of scottish kings the determination to rise up against the english claim the throne of scotland and lead his downtrodden countrymen to battle for their freedom he galloped first to the border to meet sir john the red comeman a strong and forceful baron who had been his rival in pretensions to the throne eagerly he desired to prevail on the red comeman to join with him that they might by their common efforts expel the foreign foe they met before the high altar of a church in dumfries but during the course of that consultation the two began to quarrel and came to high and abusive words then bruce so wise and courageous so generous and courteous by nature lost all control of himself and in a moment of blind ungoverned passion struck coleman down with his dagger having done this rash deed he instantly took to his horse and fled away for a time now he was desperate and consumed with remorse to have set out to free his country and to have begun by clouding his soul with such a crime to have cut off from himself irrevocably all the followers of the red coman when scotland had such need of unity and the unqualified support of all her sons alas that one cruel deed of passion caused him endless misery and misfortunes and a lifelong regret Hastily he summoned to meet him those few barons who still had hopes for the freedom of Scotland. In the Abbey of Scone, where the kings of Scotland always assumed their authority, he was crowned on the 29th of March, 1306. The rich light from the stained-glass windows streamed down on a slender gathering for such an affair of state, and everything relating to the ceremony was performed with the utmost haste. Longshanks had carried off to England the ancient crown of Scotland, and a small circle of gold was hurriedly made to take its place. The Earl of Fife, whose duty it was to have placed the crown on the head of the king, refused to attend, so the ceremony was performed without his consent by his sister, the Countess of Buchan. Edward was greatly incensed when he heard what had taken place, and set out at once for Scotland at the head of a powerful army there followed defeat after defeat for bruce till he was driven with his wife the countess of buchan and a few faithful followers including young james of douglas 
to seek refuge in the mountainous recesses of the highlands here they were chased from one place of refuge to another often in great danger half starving and suffering many hardships everywhere bruce found enemies sometimes they attacked him openly sometimes with the most despicable stealth yet through it all he still kept up his own spirits and those of his followers nor would he ever give up that they should yet set scotland free on the beautiful shores of loch lomond girt by wild green mountains amidst the majestic grandeur of nature's most royal halls bruce and his queen held court with a band of ragged followers the men hunted deer in the forest and fished in the streams for a bare subsistence while the queen and her ladies minded the cooking like the meanest of kitchen knaves at last as winter drew near with the hint of snow in the air to come storming down on the mountains living in such rude and unsheltered fashion became impossible for the ladies so bruce was obliged to separate from his wife leave her in the only castle which remained to him kildrummy and abandon shore under the protection of his brother young nigel bruce and himself seek a winter refuge on the lonely island of rashran off the coast of ireland scarcely were the women established in kildrummy when the english marched down on the castle and took it they put the brave and beautiful youth nigel bruce to death and threw the women into the strictest confinement treating them with the utmost severity the duchess of buchan who had greatly offended edward by placing the crown on the head of bruce was imprisoned in the castle of berwick in an iron cage like some wild beast news of the taking of kildrummy the captivity of his wife and the execution of nigel reached bruce in his miserable cabin at rashran and reduced him almost to despair his crime in the church at dumfries still weighed heavily on his soul and as he lay one morning on his wretched bed he began to debate whether he had better resign all thoughts of again attempting to make good his claim to the throne of scotland and redeem his great sin by going to the holy land to fight against the foes of christianity but then it seemed both criminal and cowardly to give up his attempts to restore freedom to scotland while there yet remained the smallest chance of success as he lay there divided betwixt these two courses of action his eye was suddenly attracted by a spider which was hanging at the end of a long thread from one of the beams above him and endeavoring to swing itself to another beam for the purpose of fixing the line on which it meant to stretch its web the insect made the attempt again and again without success six times bruce counted that it tried to carry its point and failed and it came into his head that he had fought just six battles against the english and that the poor persevering spider was in exactly the same situation as himself having made as many trials and been as often disappointed now thought bruce i will be guided by this spider if the insect shall make another attempt to fix its thread and be successful i will venture a seventh time to try my fortunes in scotland but if it shall fail i will give up hope and go to the holy land at that the spider swung itself again with all the force it could muster and lo the seventh time it succeeded and fastened its thread to the distant beam at once bruce determined notwithstanding the smallness of the means at his command to set out for scotland on the mainland he was joined again by douglas and others of his faithful followers 
and they began to skirmish so successfully with the english as to force lord percy to retire from the province of carrick bruce then dispersed his men upon various adventures against the enemy by thus doing he left himself with such a small body of attendants that he often ran great risk of his life once as he lay concealed in his own earldom in carrick certain men from the neighboring country of galway heard that bruce was in hiding near having no more than sixty men with him so they resolved to attack him by surprise and for this purpose got together two hundred men and two or three bloodhounds bruce who was always watchful and vigilant had received information that this party intended to come on him suddenly and at night accordingly he quartered his little troop of sixty men on the side of a deep and swift-running river that had very steep rocky banks there was but one ford by which this river could be crossed in that neighborhood and that ford was so deep and narrow that two men could scarcely get through abreast the ground on which they would land was steep and the path which led upwards from the water's edge was extremely narrow and difficult bruce caused his men to lie down to sleep at a place about a half a mile distant from the river while he himself with two attendants went down to watch the ford as he stood by the rushing river he soon heard in the distance the baying of a hound at first he thought of going back to awaken his men but then he reflected that it might be only some shepherd's dog my men he said are sorely tired i will not disturb their sleep for the yelping of a cur till i know more of the matter slowly the cry of the hound came nearer then bruce began to hear a trampling of horses the voices of men and the ring and clatter of armor if i go back now to give my men the alarm thought bruce those galloway men will get through the ford without opposition and that would be a pity since it is so advantageous a place he therefore sent his followers to awaken his men and remained altogether alone by the bank of the stream the noise and the trampling of horses increased and soon emerging from the black shadows of the distant forest into the bright moonlight that streamed across the river he saw two hundred men with gleaming arms the men of galloway on their part beheld but a single figure looming beside the ford and the foremost of the party plunged confidently into the water but as they could pass the stream only one at a time bruce met them with his spear when they landed and in such stout fashion that none climbed the bank alive soon the galloway men began to fall back in terror but perceiving that it was only one man who had checked their two hundred they plunged forward with furious rage to assault him by this time however the king's soldiers had come hurrying to assist him and the galloway men at sight of them beat a hasty and inglorious retreat many an adventures of the same type befell the bruce yet he began to win some small successes against the english and these successes gradually grew larger and more important till one by one the great scottish nobles seeing him doggedly persistent unfailingly courageous and wondrously wary and intelligent began to give up their grudges against him and rally to his standard thus placing at last beneath his command a large and powerful army in all parts of scotland deeds of daring were done to drive the english out of their strongholds and this not only by the douglas and other great nobles but also by the stout yeomanry and bold peasants of the land who were as anxious to possess their small cottages in honorable independence as the nobles to reclaim their castles 
everywhere throughout scotland the determination to fight for their liberties was at last by one man's persistent effort fired into a living flame but now edward longshanks was dead and his son edward the second assembled one of the greatest armies which a king of england ever commanded for the purpose of subduing scotland king robert's army was scarcely a third as large and in matter of arms far more poorly provided but during his eight long years of preparation for this great final test king robert had proved himself well able to make up by intelligent disposal of his troops what he lacked in arms and numbers and his men had grown accustomed to fighting and gaining victories against every disadvantage knowing that the superiority of the english lay in their splendid heavy armed cavalry and in their archers which were better trained than any in the world king robert laid his plans carefully to overcome these odds he led his army down into a plain near stirling where the english host must needs pass through a boggy country to reach them while the scots stood on hard dry land he then caused all the ground on the front of his line where cavalry were likely to act to be dug full of holes about as deep as a man's knee these were filled with brushwood and the turf was placed on the top so that no sign of them appeared when the scottish army was drawn up the line stretched on the south to the banks of the brook called bannockburn which was so rocky that no troops could attack them there and on the north almost to the town of stirling bruce reviewed his troops very carefully all the useless servants drivers of carts and such he ordered to go behind a height afterwards and called in memory of the event the gillies hill that is the servants hill he then made a stirring address to his soldiers expressing his determination to gain the victory or lose his life on the field of battle and urging all who were not like-minded to leave ere the battle began soon from the heights could be seen the approach of the vast english host a beautiful and terrible sight for the whole country seemed covered with men-at-arms on horse and foot and above them waved a gallant show of standards banners and pinions as the van drew near one among the english knights sir henry de boone saw king robert mounted not on his great war-horse but on a little pony riding up and down the ranks of his army putting his men in order and carrying no spear since he had no thought that there would be fighting that evening thinking to take him unawares and so easily bear him to the ground de boone galloped upon him robert saw the danger but stood perfectly still till de boone drew very near then he suddenly swerved his pony just a little to one side so sir henry missed him with his lance point and was in the act of being carried past him by the career of his horse when king robert rose up in his stirrups and struck him a blow with his battle-axe that hurled him lifeless from his saddle on the morrow june twenty fourth thirteen fourteen the battle began in earnest the english archers started the fray by sending a hail of arrows into the scottish ranks but king robert had in readiness a body of men-at-arms who rode at full gallop among the archers and as the latter had no weapons save their bows and arrows which they could not use when attacked hand to hand they were cut down in great numbers by the scottish horsemen and thrown into total confusion the splendid english cavalry advanced at high speed to support the archers but as they came dashing over the ground which was dug full of pits the horses fell into these holes and the riders lay tumbling about without any means of defence unable to rise from the weight of their armour then the english began to fall into general disorder and the scottish king 
bringing up more forces, vigorously pressed his advantage. On a sudden while the battle was still obstinately maintained on both sides, the servants and attendants on the Scottish camp, seeing their masters were likely to gain the day, and wishing to share in the victory, ran forth from their concealment, behind the Gillies Hill. Seeing them come suddenly over the ridge, the English mistook the rabble for another army come to sustain the Scots, and losing all heart they broke ranks and fled. Thus by the victory of Bannockburn, Robert Bruce, so long in exile, at last won the freedom of Scotland, and he is universally held to have been one of Scotland's strongest and wisest kings. End of section 31. Robert Bruce. Scotland's Hero.